Good morning. If you would be going ahead and taking out your hymns for worship and marking them for number nine, we'll be singing that song in just a moment. <laughs> we'll be singing number nine in just a moment. Uh, this morning, I would like to I would like to emphasize the the welcome that Brother Joe gave us. He just did an awesome job of reminding us what today is. It is an awesome day. I just love that. It is an awesome day for us to be together and for us to be with one another and to worship our Lord, the God of, of, of all creation, together. I just am so appreciative of, of Him and of His words. I'm so appreciative of all of you that are here this morning. This morning I want to talk about a problem that we have. Again, as we, as we have been doing in the past, we are still studying these ideas of, of, of issues that confront Christians, and things that uh, Christians are going to have to be dealing with. Sometimes on a daily basis, uh, things that we're going to have to be prepared to handle for. <clears throat> and, and the topic I want to talk about this morning is a serious problem. And at first we might think, well, that's not a problem that, that affects me, but I, I want to consider that it might be in a way that we might not have uh, possibly thought of. The topic I want to talk about this morning is the topic of domestic violence. Domestic violence. This is the idea of spousal abuse, abuse maybe between a husband and a wife. It also carries with it the idea of child abuse or even, even parental abuse. You know, maybe when, when children neglect their parents or, or are disobedient to their parents. Uh, but this idea of domestic abuse of some sort, and it comes in various forms. We all are probably very quickly to draw our thoughts to some sort of physical violence. When we think of domestic violence, domestic abuse, a, a, a call that the, the police oftentimes have to respond to, is that a, some sort of domestic altercation between a husband and a wife or, or vice versa? But it also comes in other forms. There, there's this idea of sexual abuse, which we, we know so much about. Unfortunately, in, in this day and age, it seems like something we hear quite often happening. But also, the one that I really wanted to look at this morning, the one that I wanted us to think about this morning, is the psychological abuse that goes on oftentimes between spouses and between parents and children. And this psychological abuse, this is the, the emotional, the mental abuse that goes on, sometimes being very aggressive, being very direct and forthright in an attack on someone, but other times being very passive-aggressive, subtly through, through, through manipulation and through words destroying people. Um, and sadly, this is a problem that the members of the Lord's body are not immune to. It's something that goes on within the church. Spouses abusing one another. Parents mistreating their children. Children ne neglecting their parents. And the truly frustrating part of this problem, the thing that is, is so just, just so confusing, is the fact that Domestic violence is not a problem with no solution. It is a problem that has a solution. In fact, it could be completely eliminated if only biblical teachings were followed. Teachings especially, teachings concerning things such as the family. And that's what I really want to focus our attention on this morning is the relationships that we should have inside of a family. Now, obviously, this is, is geared towards the family uh, and the home. But these uh, principles also apply themselves quite well to the spiritual family. So let's get started this morning looking at the relationships first between a husband and a wife. And I want to start first off with the husband's duty. The husband's duty, and when I, I, I want to put it this way because this is not something that, that we really have optional 
uh, an option in. We don't have to say, well, yeah, that's one way that you could that the husband could live his wife, but but maybe this is the way I'm going to live my my life. This is how I'm going to treat my wife. No, this is the duty that God has given husbands um, in, in in the household. And the first one I want to start at is over in Ephesians chapter five. If you want to turn to Ephesians and just go ahead and place your bookmark there, go ahead and place your ribbon or a piece of paper. We're going to be flipping back to Ephesians quite often this morning. But in Ephesians chapter five. Starting in verse 25, the first thing we see is that husbands are to have a love for their wife. Husbands, love your wives. Now, we might, we might be uh, very quick to say, you know, I do that. That's easy. Check. I can check that off the list. Love my wife. I've got that. I, I, I told her this morning. We woke up. I, I love you, honey. Husbands, love your wives. As we read on, that, that love, that idea is so much more than just a thought. It carries with it so much more, so much more action goes along with it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I love that word just in that passage. Just as. God has given us a standard for which we are to love our wives. And he did not say, husbands, love your wives like your father loved your mother. You know, I would like to think that we could use that as our standard, but unfortunately, in so many cases, we can't. Husbands, love your wives like what is socially acceptable today, how the society says you should love your wife. Again, I would like to say that we could do that, but unfortunately, we can't. And God, knowing that, said, I will give you the standard to which you are to love your wives, husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. He has placed a bar for us and said, this is how much you are to love your wife. At this level right here, and I don't, you know, close, no, no, not close, just as, the same, just as Christ loved the church. And I said, well, okay, if I want to do that, well, how, how do I do that? How do I show that kind of love to my spouse? Well, in verse 26, it goes on to say that, or the end of verse 25 says, And he gave himself for her, for the reasoning found in verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. In verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Jesus did not give his life for the church for his glory. Did you notice that? He didn't do that so people would remember him through history as, as, a, as this glorious figure that gave his life. It says that he did it for the church's glory, to glorify the church. And it says that he might do it so that the church could be sanctified, so the church would be set apart, so the church would be cleansed. So the church will be without spot or wrinkle, will be holy, without blemish. Do you notice how much emphasis is on the church when we, when we look at what Jesus did? When Jesus' love for the church was so that the church would be set apart. Husbands, if we are to love our wives as, as Christ loved the church, if we're going to have the proper love for our wives, our, it should not be for our glory. It should not be so that people look at us and say, well, look how much he loves his wife. It should be for her glory. And so that we are setting her apart from others around us. And in the same idea, if we are doing that, then we are going to be honoring our wife. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 7, we read, this, we read this command, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, 
giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. For this idea of honor, I think that's something that we have kind of struggled with in this society. This word of honor, this idea of honor, uh, treating someone with honor, even understanding honor. That's something that we tend to struggle with with this society because there are so many things that are dishonorable in this society. When I, when I think of honor, really the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind when I try to think of, of, of something today about honor, I think of an honorable discharge from the military. I, that's what my mind is usually drawn to, an honorable discharge from the military. And even that doesn't really carry with it the same idea of what honor is. It it does a little bit, but honorable discharge in the military, I know some of you all will correct me if I'm wrong, and I will appreciate that so much, but really what honorable discharge says to someone about them, it says that they left the military without a spot or a blemish in their record. It it is the opposite of a dishonorable discharge, and and there are so many other things that we apply to people in the military that have gone above and beyond the call of the call of duty, and they, they give them awards, and there are, are ceremonies and and rankings. But honorable discharge means that you left the army or the military doing what you were called to do, and that you did so as you were called to do it. But the idea of honor really does go beyond that. It goes beyond a step past that because this idea of honor really has this idea carried with it of someone that is raised up, someone that is set apart, as we were talking about, as Christ did for the church, if we are honoring our wives as the way that we are supposed to be, as as we are told to in 1 Peter 3, 7, they are going to be set apart from the other people of this world. Now, as I said, in this society, we do tend to have a, a... a problem with this. We don't show honor to women in general as we used to. When we go back 50, 100 years, we see a very different treatment of women in society. We see whenever a woman would come to maybe the dinner table. If there was a dinner party, a woman would come to sit down, the men would stand up to show respect. You would see men who would hold doors more often for women, open car doors. They would walk on the side of the street closest to the vehicles or closest even to go back far enough to the carriages to protect the woman from stuff splashing up on them, from being struck by a a vehicle too close to the edge. We used to have this chivalrous attitude towards women. And in part, it it has changed because there, there are some that say, and again, this is society, saying women... Women don't need to be treated that way. Even some women saying, I don't want to be treated that way. I want to be seen as an equal to God. But again, as I said before with love, we have a standard that is set for us. And it is not what the world thinks today. It is not how people of this world want to be treated today. But it is how God commanded us to treat our wives. And even going a step farther, how we should treat women in general. This idea of honor. We should make sure that in some way... And I'm not suggesting that we do have to do those things. Those are just examples. But in some way, we are setting our wives apart. We are showing them that honor. We are raising them up. In fact, I read this quote by uh, James Kaufman. He's a commentator that I, I read from occasionally. Who said, For the Christian, the loving appreciation and the holy regard for women must never go out of style. I think it's evident today that in a lot of ways it has. In a lot of ways it has gone out of style. But for Christians, 
honor must never go out of style for, their, for a husband to his wife. And if we are showing our wives honor, and we are showing our wives love, then this next one, next one is going to be easy as well, and that is we are to have no bitterness. In Colossians 3 and verse 19, <clears throat> we read, Somehow skipped right to Timothy. Colossians 3 and verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. I, I, I like how it is the, the ESV that translates this. Do not be harsh towards them. You know, as husbands, we, we do have something that has been given to us that we will we'll read more about in just a minute, but we, are, we have been set as the head of the household. And it is very easy for us to take that responsibility and to, to try and try and force, try to be the enforcers of the home instead of the head of the home. And in some ways we do this by being bitter, by being harsh to our wives and even to our children at times. When things maybe aren't going the way that we see they should be going, uh, maybe we see an attitude that, that isn't reflecting of the Bible, or maybe we're just frustrated with our own attitudes that aren't reflecting of the Bible, and, and in doing so we become bitter with our wives. We treat them harshly. That is an attitude that Christians should not have. That is an attitude that a, a Christian husband should, should take himself as far away from as possible. Instead of being bitter towards our wives, instead of being harsh towards our wives, we must be loving them and honoring them, and we must be speaking to them in a gentle way. We must be speaking to them in a way that builds up rather than destroys. And these are just three things that I wanted to point out quickly, uh, and uh, we could spend a, a great deal of time on the, on the roles of a husband, but three things that I wanted to point out quickly um, in, in regards to the relationship that a husband has to his wife that will go, go great deals to, to removing this problem of domestic violence. But what about the wife's duty? The wife's duty to her husband. Again, we'll start with love. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2 and in verse 4, we read an admonition from, for, for older women to teach younger women. It says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands. To love their husbands. Again, this carries with it the same idea that, that husbands had for loving their wives. But, you know, and, and speaking to both, to both husbands and wives, I think that it needs to be said, we're so quick to go, check, I did that. I did what, what, what I need to do. I, I showed love to my husband. But how do we do that? How do we show this love? So oftentimes what we do is we consider passages like in Matthew 7, treat others how we want to be treated, and we think, well, I know what I need, and so I will meet my husband's needs in that way, and I will give him what I need. But that might not always be the case. Matthew 7, uh, that passage, uh, Matthew seven twenty one, 21, uh, I believe, <coughs> I don't want to take away from the, the correctness. I don't want to take away from the accuracy of that message. It is very accurate. But sometimes when we read it, we think, I need to do to other people exactly what I want done for me. But maybe a better way to look at that is to say, I want my needs met. I need to find out what the needs of other people's are and go the steps to meet those needs. And, and so for wives, the needs that you have may be different than the needs of your husband. And the same thing could be said for husbands. The needs that you have may be different than the needs that your wives have. Wives have, you know, uh, the, the needs that Holly has are, are typically not the needs that I have. And and I, I normally can go a great deal of time without ever having to have one of her needs that she has met for me. Uh, I, I may know that 
that she loves me and I don't have to hear her say it very often. And I may know that she supports me and I don't need to have to hear her say that either very often. But she, like, on the other hand, is different. And she likes to have that that affirmation that I love her. She likes to have that affirmation that I support her in the work that she's doing with our children and with raising them the way that she has done with, with the homeschooling. She likes to have the affirmation that I support her in, in what she has done with, with this new endeavor we have with the house. She, she has different needs than I have. And so as husband and as wife, this applies to both, are we spending the time that is necessary to find the needs that our spouse has? Are we setting down and, and discovering those needs? And then once we know them, are we really doing what we can to meet those needs? Are we showing love for our spouses? So, so likewise with the wife's duty and the husband's duty, love is, the, is where it needs to start. And then wives are given a different role uh, than husbands. Wives are told to submit to their, to their husbands. Back over in Ephesians, I told you we'd spend a little bit of time there. Back over in Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24 reads, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Another passage talks about this is Colossians 3.18, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This idea of submission, it's not always the best idea for, for, for men to talk about. And, I, and when, I, when I thought about this as I was studying for this lesson, I thought, I, I don't have this same command. I don't know how much I know about this to talk about it. But the, the, the fact is, I do have the same command, but in a much different sense. See, submission is an incredibly scary thing for me. And, and I imagine it is for, for everybody. Whenever I go and started a new work, um, when, I, when I started with Lockheed Martin, not so much here, but when I started with Lockheed Martin or, or L3 Communications, I submitted to, to the employment there. I submitted to my, my or supervisors and my bosses. I submitted to their, their rules and what they had laid out they wanted me to do. And that scared me to death for, for one main reason. I didn't know them. I didn't know what they they were going, how they were going to treat me, what they were going to request of me. But at the same time, I submitted again to another calling or, or to to another being. I submitted to Christ. I submitted to God's will, and that wasn't scary. There was no fear in that submission because I knew God's character. I knew what God required of me. I knew that He would never ask more of me that I was able to, to give to him, and I knew that he would be fair and he would be just with me. When we know the character of who we are submitting to, it makes it much easier. It makes it something that is less fearful. So likewise, when, when women are commanded to submit to their husbands, I, I understand that can be a scary thing. That can be a thing that can cause fear, uh, especially because as, as humans, we, we know, and men know it just as much as women do, even though we don't always like to admit it, that, that we're going to make mistakes. And we're not going to have that perfect, <coughs> that perfect attitude that Christ has. We're not going to have the, are always going to be the, the, the patient, loving, caring being that Christ is. We're not going to always be one who is, is humble. And we're not going to always be one that is fair and just. We're going to make mistakes. But, but wives, you are given an, an admonition to this. In 1 Peter 3 again, turning back over where we were just at a moment ago. In 1 Peter 3, it's admitted it's a, it's a, a scary thing, submission. 
But in verses 1 through 6, we read, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be out merely outwardly, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him, uh, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Submission can be a scary thing. But God is saying, if you will do this, if you will be submissive to your husband, even as Sarah was submissive to Abraham, in my eyes, this is very precious. Very precious. Do, you, do we see again how, how God, doing what men should be doing, is honoring the wife through her obedience to Him, setting her apart, saying that she will, be, she will be an incorruptible beauty. A beauty that cannot be taken away, comes through, uh, through submission. She will be gentle, or a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. So women, I encourage you, in, in, in your duty to... to or in your duty as a wife, to be submissive to your husband and also to respect your husband. Back over in Ephesians 5 and verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, this idea of respect, it carries with this idea of, of in fact, when I looked up the definition of the word here, it says to treat differently. Wives, treat differently your husbands. Now, a lot of times in, in this day and age, we see that very Very easily, women treat their husbands differently than they would treat maybe a stranger on the street. But it's not always a better differently. Sometimes it's a worse differently. But this idea of respect, it goes back to to the idea of honor. In fact, another word that is used there is to wives, reverence your husbands. So again, we we are to remember in our relationships to one another, both husbands and wives have a duty to the other. And let's make sure that we are keeping keeping ourselves in line with with what God's Word has specified. Because the fact is, I I pose the question, how can any faithful Christian, how can any faithful Christian ever physically or verbally abuse their spouse and still try to wear the name of Christ? If we would simply mold ourselves to these, these attributes that God has placed in our lives, then we would see a, a relationship. We would see marriages that would not last days. We would see marriages that would be filled with happiness and with years, and we would see we would see a change in this society if we would simply all mold ourselves to the relationships that God has intended for us to have. But we also want to talk about the relationship between parents and children, because domestic abuse isn't just between husband and wife. So oftentimes we see children being abused. In the homes, and we see parents being abused, especially later in their lives. So let's start with the parents' duty towards their children. (coughs) And again, I want to start with the idea of love. Um, Mothers are told in Titus 2, verse 4, we just read that how mother or women are to love their husbands and also to love their children, is the remainder of that passage. Women are to love their children. And again, when we look back to this idea of the needs, we are to see that we are meeting the needs of our children. That is one way that we show them love. When, when, when they are hungry, we feed them. When they are, are, 
and they need a place to stay, we are going to make sure that they are covered. And when they fall down, we are going to pick them up. And when they are hurt, we are going to, we are going to be there to, to comfort them. But also in that love, we have an idea that we are to, to be spurring them along. Spurring them towards something greater than just just this physical world. We're to be spurring them towards uh, a heavenly life and and spurring them towards God. And oftentimes in doing that, uh, again, as as I said, we we as fathers, oftentimes we we have this this burden, if you will, that's been laid upon us. It says that you are going to be the head of the household. And that is going to be one of our, our big responsibilities is to our children and so oftentimes when we see something that's not right, when we see something that, that is in a, an attitude or is a, a train of thought in our children that we know is, is against the Bible, I, and, and I just I speak for myself here, we jump in with, with guns a-blazing, ready to destroy whatever that attitude is and, and to, to just make sure that we run it out of our family and we're not going to have any part of that. And gentleness goes out the window and we come in with a very harsh attitude, and what do we find that we uh, normally happens in that in that situation? Ephesians six four calls it. We provoke our children to wrath. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. That is such a hard thing sometimes because it is so easily done. Even when we have the attitude that we are trying to save them. Maybe have it even in our minds. Don't you see that I'm trying to save you? Don't you see that I'm trying to teach you what is right? And they go, no. <laughs> I see you being mean and mad. Fathers, do not provoke your children under wrath. The NIV puts it, fathers, do not exasperate. Do not wear out your children. The C, uh, CEV, the Contemporary English Version, says not to be too hard on them, but rather to raise them properly. And then we are told there's a reason for this. Back over in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3 again, this time in verse 21. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We are to be encouraging our children. We are to be encouraging them towards God. We are to be encouraging them towards a, a, a life that, that shows the Lord's glory. A life that, that reflects the light of the Lord, and in doing so, we must make sure that we don't push them away and that we don't run them off by being too harsh with them, by wearing them out, exasperating them, that we don't provoke them to wrath. But then the second part of that passage, and we might be tempted to say, well, then I'm just not going to do anything because I don't want to mess that up. But it says <clears throat> in, the, in the second part of verse 4, to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We are commanded to train our children. And uh, again, back to the CEV, it says to teach them and to instruct them about the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.11, Paul says that he does this with his spiritual children. If we want to turn over there real quick to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and in verse 11, We read as as you know, uh, excuse me, as you uh, know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Again, this is Paul talking to his spiritual children, but we can apply this to our lives as well. What does it say he does there in verse eleven? As you now know, or as you know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you. Are we doing that with our children? 
Those three things, those three things are very important, and we can't forget all three. We can't forget just one and do, or do just one or just two. We must be doing all three. He exhorted them. He built them up. He, 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 was, he was building them up with this idea of maybe when we fall down, we're going to pick you up, we're going to build you up, and we're going to give you the strength to try again. And he comforted them. When they, maybe when they messed up. They did something that was wrong. They weren't in, you know, I don't see Paul going to him and going, you're never going to get this right. You are never going to be able to do this. But no, he would have comforted them. And yes, if they messed up, he, he obviously would have told them that they messed up, but he would have picked them up and said, you're going to do better next time. But then that last part, he charged them. See, we oftentimes do those first two, and we get those pretty easy. The ex- exhortation, the comforting. Are we charging our children? Are we challenging our children? If you see a child in school, especially one that's, that's maybe a little bit ahead of where they should be, they, they, they've just got a real sharp mind, and, and they're sitting there and they're acting out, and nobody can figure out why they're acting out, and finally somebody looks at them and goes, they know this. They know what you're teaching. They need more. They need challenges. They need something to get their attention and to focus their mind. Are we challenging? Are we charging our children in Christ? Are we challenging them to grow in Christ? And this isn't something that just applies to to our little children. When you turn 18, you you don't magically change from a child into into not a child. If you you are still blessed with a parent or a grandparent even, you are still a child of uh, uh, of that person. And so if you have children of your own, you still have these same, du- these same duties that you are to, to be taking up. And the fact is that it isn't just something that the fathers are to do or just the mothers, but we see that we are both to be doing this. And this idea that talks about fathers train your children, it's later, later showed that mothers were told to do the same things and mothers were encouraged for doing the same things. About over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we, talk, we hear of Lois and of Eunice who, who trained up Timothy. And so if, if there is a father or a husband that, that refuses to do his, his duty, or if there is one who is just negligent or, or is not there at all, we know that this is a, a responsibility for both sets of parents. This is a responsibility for both of us to take up. But likewise, children have a duty. Children have a duty. And the first one, the first one is one that we're trying so hard to instill in our children We've worked with them a lot. In fact, we've kind of got this little saying, 6-1, Ephesians 6-1. Ephesians 6-1 says to be children, obey your parents. And we're trying to instill that in their minds, especially whenever I, uh, so I don't have to yell. I can just say 6-1. I hope they, they're going to start getting that in their minds. Oh, we know we need to start listening. We're not being obedient. But Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And again, when we speak of children, We're speaking of uh, of all of us that have parents, all of us that have grandparents. We're to be obedient to our parents. Now, it gives the the little qualifier in the Lord in there. We obviously, if our parents are asking us to do something outside of what God would would command, outside of what God would desire, obviously it's not suggesting that, that we sin because our parents told us to. The children, be obedient to the Lord, or be obedient to your parents, for this is right. It's right because it's God's appointed duty to children to be obedient to their parents. It's also right because children owe a debt of gratitude to their parents. Now I look at my at my boys and I 
I hope that they will one day realize, they may not yet, but that we do a lot of things for them. We've done a lot for them. And I realize that, that we've done a lot for them because I realize my parents have done a lot for me. And their parents have done a lot for them. Parents should be going and doing a lot for their children. And in, in return of that, children owe them this debt of gratitude. But not only do they own that debt of gratitude, this is right for children to be obedient to their parents because this is for the betterment of the child and because this is for the betterment of the society in which the child lives in. Just think how how much better a a world would be if we all had been obedient to our parents. I can remember a a saying that I I believe my grandmother used to say, actually not my mother, but would say nothing good happens after 9 o'clock. I wish I'd been obedient to that because that would have kept me out of trouble. I remember mom setting a curfew saying, you will be home at this time. And and at the time, I couldn't realize why. Why do I have to be home at this time? That's ridiculous. All my friends stay out till 2 in the morning. All my friends were getting in trouble until 2 in the morning. And, And so how much better a society would we have if we all applied these type of principles to ourselves? And especially this one, children be obedient to your parents. But Ephesians 6 and verse 2 and 3 goes a a step farther than just being obedient to your parents. It says, children, honor. Honor your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And then in in most cases, I believe that 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 promise is true. That if you honor your father and mother, you're going to live a better life. I've known a lot of people who who were very dishonorable to to their fathers and and they, they were, had rough lives. They were dishonorable to their mothers, and they had rough lives. Now, I'm not saying that their parents' reaction to this was proper, and I'm not saying that it was the Christian reaction to dishonor, but it is, it is something that is easy to see. As children, we are if we will honor our parents, our lives will be better. It goes on to say that, or we go on to see that honor again carries with it another this idea of love and of respect, as we've talked about this idea of, of setting apart our relationship with our parents and with our grandparents should be different. If we are truly honoring our parents, if we're truly honoring our grandparents, then I, I'm going to say that this next point is going to be something that that we shouldn't have to go really be told to do, and that's support, supporting our parents. First Timothy chapter five. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 4, we read, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. We do have this requirement to be taking care of our parents, especially once they have become a widow. In verse 8 it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. We see God's view of people who will neglect their parents, of people who will neglect their family. And it's not a view that we want described of us. And in verse 16, it shows this is an individual action. It's not something that we should be just looking to lay on somebody else to take care of. Verse 16 says, If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Again, this is just saying this is an individual job, that each, one that each one of us is, is required to do. So again, I ask the question, how can any Christian parent, how can they show anything less than true love for their children 
and still claim to be Christians? And likewise, how can Christian children show anything for anything less than a loving behavior towards their parents? Through such admonitions, the Bible, it, it addresses the problem of domestic violence. Maybe not directly, but it has the solution to domestic violence. Because we see God's Word produces loving and produces lasting marriages. And it produces families that are full of peace, families that are full of harmony. In fact, I'm confident that if everyone, if everyone would, would, would treat one another as Christians should treat one another, that the problem of, of domestic violence, the problem of abuse, it would, it would disappear overnight. But sadly, that's not going to be the case. For most of the world, they're not going to treat others as Christians should. But I'm not going to be too concerned with that right now. Right now, I want to be concerned with us inside the body of Christ. How are we going to treat one another? How are we going to treat one another in our families? How are we going to treat one another inside this spiritual family? I want to give you three more verses, and then, and then the lesson will be yours. And back over in Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 32, reading through 5, verse 2, we read, And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Number one, brothers and sisters, let's imitate God. Let's imitate God in our treatment for one another, and in doing so, we will be kind, we will be tender-hearted, we will be forgiving. The second place I want to read is Romans 12.10. A very short passage just simply says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. I don't know about you, but that's a hard one for me to do. See, I, I typically, I, I want what I want. Not necessarily what somebody else wants. But that's not what this passage says. It says to give preference to one another. So if we will be imitators of God, and we will put other people's needs before our own, then we will be two steps closer to being the kind of people that are going to stamp out abuse, at least in our lives. And the final thing I want to share with you, I'll put this one on the board. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 through 9. It says, Finally, all of you should agree and have concern and love for each other. You should also be kind and humble. Don't be hateful. And insult people just because they are hateful and insult you. Instead, treat everyone with kindness. You are God's chosen ones, and He will bless you. Again, another hard one. We are filled in a world that is full of hate and insults. We're filled, uh, oftentimes, we, we see that encroaching into the body of Christ. Insults and, and mistreatment of one another. But we are chosen by God. And we are blessed, and we are to be a different sort of people. If we will apply these teachings to our lives, I am confident that our marriages, that our friendships, and that our relationships with our children and our parents will grow and will increase and will be, will be better relationships. This morning, I, I, I hope that as you have listened, you have, you have challenged yourself. I hope as you have listened, you have said, you know, maybe this is something that, that I need to work on. Maybe this is some area that I'm not very good in and I can do better in it. 
And if that be the case, I want you to know that you are a part of a family that wants to help you be better. You are a part of a family that wants to see you grow and wants to hear when you are struggling so that we can pray for you and so that we can be there to rally around you and pick you up. This morning, if, there ha- if you have some need in that, that, there's, that we can help you with, we would encourage you to bring it before us. And, and if you have a desiring to become a child of God, to be, God has already chosen you. It says that He was predestined each and every one of you. Will you choose Him? Will you choose to be a follower of His? If there is some way that we can help you in either one of these, we encourage you to please come forward now as we stand and sing.